Hey, we're starting a, a sermon series today. Uh, for the next four weeks, we've been in the Old Testament, and so for the next four weeks, we're going to journey through the, uh, the epistle lessons from, from the lectionary. Uh, they're from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, as Lucas mentioned, he is writing, Paul is writing from prison. He doesn't know if he will live or die. And he wrote to the church in Philippi, a church that he loved very much. It was his baby, and that church loved him. He even wrote in the, uh, in the salutation, I hope that you'll take time to read uh, each chapter. There's four chapters, and so we'll spend four weeks in it. Uh, he even wrote, I have you in my heart. That's one translation about how he begins uh, his opening line with the church in Philippi, with the Philippians. I have you in my heart. That's such a tender thing. That's a very pastoral moment. And so I have all of you in my heart as we take these next steps through uh, Philippians in October. Uh, reading in uh, the New Testament, most of which is comprised of letters, it's like peeking into someone else's mail. That's what we're doing. We're reading someone else's mail. Uh, occasionally, we uh, in our neighborhood, we'll have a new postman or postwoman. Uh, sometimes uh, we get mail that belongs to someone else. Does that happen to you? Or they get your mail and... You know, you look on the address and you look at the name and, and you look and figure out which house it belongs to and you walk it back across the street. But, but we're in church, so let's be honest. Uh, how many of you sometimes you just want to peek into that letter to see what's in there and see what's written, right? Now, out of curiosity only, I don't, I don't want you arrested for mail tampering or anything like that. Let Paul's letters come from prison, but none of you end up in prison, please. I, I have you in my heart when I say that, right? Go easy on those uh, postal service workers, by the way. They work hard, and they are such a vital part of, of our community and our, our country. Uh, I would encourage you to get to know his or her name, get to know a little bit about their story. They deliver our mail, our bills, the magazines, renewal notices, uh, the 47 uh, catalogs that you're going to receive in just a few weeks because Christmas apparently is already here, Right. And for purposes of this series, they deliver handwritten letters. There's something quite endearing about a handwritten letter. And so at the outset, I think it would be a lot of fun as a congregation to write letters each week to our shut-ins, to visitors, to members with whom you've connected over the past few weeks, for members you would love to see back alongside you today. And when you think about receiving or sending a handwritten letter, it signals something, that someone took, someone took time. They spent some ink and some paper. They probably used some gas to drive to the post office to mail the letter. Someone wanted to say something to you in a way that a text or a call or an email just it can't convey. And someone, in thinking of you, expects nothing in return, he or she simply wants you to know that you have been on his or her mind in that moment. That's Paul's way of resourcing churches. It's one way that we can stay united in fellowship as a church. He held his brothers and sisters in his heart, and we should too. So from only a couple of decades or so after the death of Jesus, let's peek into someone else's mail as we read these opening verses from Philippians chapter 1, listen for the word of the Lord. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel 
from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it by the day of Jesus Christ. For me, this is verse 21, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to depart and to be with Christ, for that is better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. And since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come and see you or absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but suffering for him as well since you're having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there was an elementary age kid standing beside the road and a man came up and stopped and rolled down the window and, and kind of looked down at the, at the little boy and said, hey, do you know how I, I can get to town? And the little boy said, I don't know. And the man said, well, do you know where uh, route number 20 is? Again, the little boy said, I don't know. And the man said, well, well, where does this road go? Sir, I, I don't know. Well, do you know the name of this road? And once again, sir, I, sorry, I, I just don't know. I've got nothing. And the frustrated man looked down at the little boy and, son, uh, you don't know anything, do you? The boy said, well, I know I ain't lost. <laughs> it's fair. I think Paul's letter to the Philippians, these love letters, these pastoral letters, provide direction for those of us when we stray off course or have allowed competing values to pull away from the mission of the gospel. It happens to all of us. We get pulled left, we get pulled right. Upward mobility takes us away. We get pulled down by grief and doubt. Paul says, I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my heart. Philippians has verses that, that so many of us learned along our faith journeys growing up. We learn them in our youth group. We teach them in, at Vacation Bible School. We teach them at all the, the checkpoints like Elmo uh, will happen this afternoon in our youth group uh, this evening. Uh, things like, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I, I learned that at at a camp back when I was 13 years old, and I've never forgotten it. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I remember being at Black Mountain, North Carolina at Fellowship of Christian Athletes Camp, and we spent a whole week or two up there uh, focusing around Philippians. Uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul knew his life was, was coming to an end, but we started thinking to ourselves, what does it mean to die to ourselves so that, that our teammates, our brothers and sisters might gain? for a mission bigger than ourselves. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I learned that at VBS somewhere along the way. And then this live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Uh, I learned that at my MYF equivalent. All of these are pathways, roads, means by which we can find our way back home. Something you and I should do over the next four weeks or so is take these familiar verses from this marvelous book, this marvelous letter, 
uh, memorize them, circulate them on social media, and maybe it's just a nudge someone needs to find a pathway back home, back to the heart of, heart of God. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? In, in the Greek, the, the phrase, the verbiage there is about citizenship. Now, this is kind of scandalous in the first century with Rome in power and, and persecution of Christians is, is heightening, strengthening. It's, it's getting hot at their feet, sometimes literally. Live a life worthy the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about citizenship. That's Paul's message. Remember that you belong to a different kind of kingdom. Not all the kingdoms this world tries to give to you or that you try to create for yourself. You belong to a different kingdom, so act like it. It's one founded not on power, but on sacrifice. Not on violence, but peace. You are citizens of a kingdom that doesn't uh, rob from the backs of the oppressed, but draws the circle widely and makes a place at the table for everyone who wants to feast. You are citizens of a kingdom that denounces disunity and holds unity as, as the highest value, says Paul, in most of his letters. Yeah, you're a citizen of that kingdom. So act like it. That's Paul's message to this early church. Pastor Paul is writing from prison to this newfound flock, giving some advice as they've fallen under some kind of opposition. We don't exactly know who the opposition is or what the persecution is like, but he's giving uh, sort of this rhythmic uh, refrain. Stand firm in one spirit. Strive side by side with one mind for faith in the gospel and do not be intimidated. Now, football chaplains, coaches love this verse as a pregame devotional, right? One objective, one game plan, one team. There's, there's no I in team. Side by side, in the trenches, move the ball down the field and you cue the music and everybody starts going, Rudy, Rudy, you know, something like that. Paul uses this gladiatorial language in his letter. Strive together. Work toward it fiercely. The mission of Jesus Christ. You're freed even though he's in prison. You're freed for joyful obedience. Behave yourselves as if you belong to a different kind of kingdom because you do. And here's the interesting part. When he writes, live your life, in a manner worthy of the gospel. We tend to personalize that, individualize that, like we do scripture so often. That's okay from a devotional perspective. But what Paul is actually saying is, let your life as a community of faith be worthy of the gospel. You hear the difference? Let your life as a community of faith be worthy. Stand firm in the spirit, striving, working side by side, together with one mind, one heartbeat, one mission, one body, no dissensions about the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. He is the only king, not Caesar. No wavering on mission and ministry. No giving in to cultural persuasions. Let your life as a community of faith be worthy of the gospel. Because living a life worthy of the gospel means the community is not whole without you, and you are not whole without the community. Amen? Okay, <laughs> we'll get there. Living a life worthy of the gospel means the community is not whole without you, and you are not whole without the community. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Hmm. The story is told of, of this sculptor 
who created this very intricate work. It was, it was a horse, and it had all of the details of, of the fur and the mane and the, and the muscle structure, and it caught the attention of everyone. And one day he was asked, how did you take such, this, such an ugly, you know, kind of unpretentious piece of stone and make it into this beautiful horse? And his answer was simple. I, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like a horse. Yeah? Living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ means as a body we give ourselves to anything that needs to be chipped away by God to be formed into this unit, this team. Maybe that's, that word's a little soft. This family, this community, this, this movement, to be something different from the story and the narrative that the world is trying to give us. What does a church look like that lives a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That would have been a fabulous poll question leading into this Sunday. I wish I had thought about that four days ago. I didn't. What does a church that lives a life in a manner worthy of the gospel look like? Well, we have all these measurables, right? Vital signs of a modern church are membership, baptisms, vibrant children and youth programs, Wonderful financial statements that close out the year very favorably like, like we did just a few weeks ago. But do these present us as worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's a tough one. We need measurables. We need to keep connecting people to salvation in Jesus Christ and those tell a story. So I also wonder if Paul's words today come with a challenge that says on this World Communion Sunday, a church living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of its calling, is a courageous church. That is, courage to allow God through the power of the Holy Spirit to chip away at us, to start chipping away at whatever it is we value above and beyond the lordship of Jesus Christ and unity in the family of God. That is, we need to chip away at whatever we value more highly than feeding the hungry or clothing the naked or visiting the sick and imprisoned or welcoming the stranger or healing the sick and raising the dead and curing the lepers and casting out, uh, out demons. Anything we believe more important than those values makes us unworthy of the gospel. And we need to start chipping away a little bit to be formed into this beautiful creation. I also think about a painter who saw a beggar his clothes were tattered, he was unkept, his face was disheveled, and he was quite dirty. And the artist decided to paint the man, to kind of project on the man in his painting what he might have looked like as a successful businessman with, with a family and all that. And, and when it was finished, the, the painter invited the beggar to come look at the painting and to see it. And the beggar didn't recognize himself. He asked, is that me? And the painter said, well, that's what I see in you. <laughs> and for the first time in years, as tears were streaming down his face, the beggar was given hope, and he said, by God's grace... I'm going to be the kind of man you see me to be. In Christ, we are being made into a new creation when we strive side by side for the common good under the Lordship of Jesus Christ to make a difference in this world one life at a time. I've, I've told confirmation classes that and third, third graders and second graders and, and adults alike all the time. How do you change the world? One life at a time one little chipping away at a time. We're freed for joyful obedience to be the body of Christ 
Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, the same God who breathed life into creation and took those chaotic waters and and calmed them, the same God that saw that darkness and said, that's not going to work, we need some light, the same God who who opened the eyes of the blind and, and allowed the deaf to hear and gave voice to the voiceless and reached into the margins and helped people find healing and and hope, the same one who crashed funerals for the dead and resurrected the dead, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who is the first and the last, the one who holds the the keys to hell and to death itself, that God is continuing to work and to breathe life into his body called the church. And so I am confident that the one who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. I am confident that as we step forward together, as we step to this table, as we share this common meal with Christians all over the world, that we are saying, Lord, chip away at us as we seek to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the glory of God, amen.